Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Hi there, listeners. I'm Mina Rizuki. Welcome to Telegraph Audio Football Cup. Tom Gibbs is currently behind closed doors, and so we've taken over the studio, ready to opine on everything that's happened in the footballing world over the past week. Well, almost everything. Coming up, England versus Croatia and that eerie spectatorless draw. Scotland trip, stumble and ultimately fall flat, as do Wales. And so what hope do we have left in the home nations? Plus, it might be International Week, but Matt Law's Aston Villa have been busy appointing their biggest fan. And it's not Matt Law. Meanwhile, Thierry Henry at Monaco, Frank Lampard at Derby County, the big names taking on the small cubs. Just why do they now want these jobs? And will anyone come after Mourinho's Manchester United after they face two tough tests next week? Just how will they fare? Let's get down to it. As ever, I'm joined by Lord Aston Villa. It's Matt Law. How are you, Matt? I'm good. Last week, I think I was sort of the owner of Aston Villa, so I don't know if that's a demotion or a promotion. I think that is kind of... Uh, a demotion? I, th- I would say so. Hey, I'll take it. <laughs> and we're also back with a vengeance. It's the Dark Lord of Tactics, JJ Bull. Hello. Hello. I don't... I still... I've read this Dark Lord of Tactics bit on the script I've got in front of me a few times, and... I don't know how I feel about it yet. You know what? I love tactics. You should be watching my league. But anyway, back to the football. And obviously, we have to start at the top because it was International Week. And of course, we have to talk about England, Croatia. Matt, you were there at Croatia. Tell us about the atmosphere. Uh, non-existent. Obviously, there was no crowd because it was played behind closed doors. And it was pretty awful, to be honest with you. It was such a good advert for why... Um, the Premier League and the TV companies should be looking after the paying fans because it was just... I mean, obviously there was no atmosphere, but it made the game flat. It made the whole occasion dead. I mean, if if you were going to report on football played behind closed doors where people just sat at home watching it on TV, I wouldn't want to do it because it was dreadful. It was horrendous. And it was actually really hard to kind of concentrate properly. It's just so weird. Um, you as a journalist, it was hard for you to concentrate. Yeah, 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 it was hard to concentrate properly. It was just, it was like watching a 90-minute training session. Training sessions can be interesting for about probably 10 minutes, and then it's quite hard to, to keep your concentration going. I mean, the, the one kind of fun thing or interesting thing I found was that what the players were shouting to each other. We, we turned up wondering whether we'd hear lots of swearing. We didn't really, I think Jordan Henderson swore at their coach once, and that was about it. Um, we wondered whether you'd hear lots of really clever stuff that the players were shouting to each other. In actual fact, what they shout to each other is exactly what people are shouting to each other in Sunday league and parts football. It's all just space, turn, man on. 
Was there a lot of clear it, get rid? Because that's uh, what I've noticed from Sunday League in England. I didn't hear get rid. I've got to be honest. I didn't hear get rid. I might have, I've certainly heard a lot of... Um, Jordan Pickford would always kind of shout pickers as he came out for the ball to his defenders so that they didn't try and head it while he was coming for it. It's another uh, thing of Sunday League footballers. I love that footballers' nicknames don't even shorten their own names. <laughs> <laughs> and then Stone, Stones was a big shouter for for the aerial ball of, of Stonesies. But, um, but, I mean, that was it. But He would say Stonesies? I think so. He's adding syllables. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's quite sweet. Do you think I've always wondered this? That if you are, I wanted to know how Croatia were. Were they yelling at each other? I mean, if you sort of have a better grasp of your game and have more control or understand or and more of a tactical identity, do you do you talk as much? No, they were exactly the same. Um, there, was, there was no difference between them in terms of that. I mean, the noisiest both teams got were when they were annoyed with the referee, and then a few would chirp up. I mean, if you look at that Croatia team, though, similar to England. It's not what you'd imagine would be a vocal team. I mean, you've got two captains of both teams, Kane and, and Modric, who aren't shouters, and you can see that without yeah. needing to have a behind-closed-doors game. So it wasn't that kind. I mean, what one other interesting point was, I think it would have been very easy for Southgate to decide he needed to be vocal in that game because there were he would have known that anything he did say was going to be picked up on TV and maybe he, some managers, I'd certainly have Steve McLaren in this bracket, would have got into it thinking, I need to sound clever. You know, TV are going to be listening. I need to sound clever. I don't want to sound silent. Do you mean as in he wants to uh, promote himself almost? Yeah, exactly. Promote yeah. himself, almost try and come across as some sort of tactical genius. Southgate obviously doesn't say a lot during games and didn't feel the need to do anything special for the for the microphones, which I actually really respected him for, but it was, it was a non-event. It was a dreadful game to have to cover. How would you say? How would what would you say to sound intelligent on the side of the pitch without a blackboard? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, what I would relate it to maybe is the managers. You know, when the cameras go on them, and this is terrible for the podcast because I'm going to start doing this that no one can listen to. <laughs> he's the, he's the managers, gesturing with his fingers. <laughs> yeah, the managers, but not in that yeah. way. <laughs> Uh, but you know when the managers do all these mad signs with their hands in front of the cameras and then in in the split second they look quite clever and then you slow it down and play it back and they look ridiculous I'd imagine there are are vocal equivalents of that that managers could quite easily get into knowing that they're going to be heard and Southgate didn't get into any of it so fair play to him a lot of managers as well that say that they can't really do too much during a game that will really sit in with the players and understand if they've been through all their pre-match stuff they should know it maybe they can remind bits here and again but most of your work we've done at half time yeah. especially in your shape because you can show it because again you can't really if you're doing all these things that Guardiola does where you've got like hieroglyphics <laughs> going on with your hands I don't know how you're meant to sounds like three syllables <laughs> yeah exactly um, it, it must be difficult and because they're trying their new shape you might have wanted them to just sit with it and see how they're getting on rather than having instructions barked yeah. maybe I thought it, and one of the weird things watching it on TV was how you could feel there was no momentum behind any move so when there's a chance into the box there's no like great rise in volume from the fans and so it almost seems like the players don't get uh, as excited they don't yeah. realise how big a moment it was yeah. in the game and I think that also counts for when a team started to get on top you've then got no crowd momentum behind you to kind of keep you on top as it were um you know the the kind of games that are meandering along until there's a really heavy challenge and all of a sudden the crowd go for it and that can sometimes lift games. Yeah, fires up, yeah. There was just nothing to help the game out. And in a way it sounds ridiculous because we obviously talk so much about 
technique and technical issues and tactics and formations these days and the, the game's become a much broader thing than it used to be and yet it's very evident it still needs some sort of atmosphere to help it along. But how was the performance? Do you think that they're getting along? They're finding the vid? I mean, it was... I thought it was actually from... from I thought it was encouraging because I thought first half the the game was, was pretty bad. But I actually thought second half England got on top. I mean, at half time, England had, had passed the ball far more than, than Croatia. Um, I think they'd attempted maybe 100 more passes than them. Um, and second half, I really did think England were on top of the game. I... I I did feel Croatia treated it far more like a friendly than England did. It seemed more important to England. But, I mean, England hit the hit the woodwork twice. Rashford missed two really good opportunities. I thought it was encouraging, actually. And I thought the, the new system within that was encouraging. Um, they, they pressed Croatia quite well. I, I, yeah, I thought it was good, but it I was do such think a that- non-event. I do think that Croatia look like they're very tired. Not tired, it's just a bit too much now, too soon, which was a lot of the topic that was being discussed. And, and Gareth Southgate came out and said, oh, you know what, the Premier League has started too soon. Would you agree with that? Yeah, 100%. I mean, Dejan Lovren said it afterwards as well. Um, you don't even need to look at that game. I mean, Lovren widened it out and said, look at Salah. Mm. I mean, it's it's happening to players all around the world who have, come back from the World Cup no one's really tearing it up are they he went remember Arsene Wenger used to always say that he would, he would give them far more time to come back into the team and Arsenal suffered for it four years ago yeah. he left all Marta Sacker and his uh, German loons out of the that's an Aberdonian word sorry Aberdeen lads uh, so Marta Sacker I think and uh, uh, who else did he have at the time Ozil yeah. a few others he used to be very strict on it he used to be very strict on not bringing them back too soon and he would let them miss first two or three games of the season I mean uh Sari did that with Hazard. Yeah, it, It's been interesting actually watching the different approaches. Man City got them all back really quickly. I mean, they were all back in training. Mm-hmm. Stones played the Community Shield. Tottenham were a little bit different. They let them come back a little bit later. And yet then when the game started, they were straight back into it. They've all had different different ways of dealing with it. And yet most of them are suffering. Yeah, I, I agree with that. It's interesting, actually, because I want to focus a little bit on Raheem Sterling. Uh, we know that he's obviously a great player on and off the ball. And uh, he obviously scored so many goals, what, 23 last season for Manchester City. But when it comes to the England national team, it seems like he doesn't score as or convert as much. Do you think it's the style of play? Yeah, I think it's the style of play, the shape and the quality of players has got around him. It's, it, there's heaps of things going on uh, that's making him not perform that way. I, we can't speak on his behalf about how he feels the pressure, maybe, when he went into the World Cup, things like that. I, I mean, I don't know. But you can see um, that when he plays for England, he has far less of the ball. He touches it less. Um, so, for instance, in the World Cup, um, he touched the ball 35.5 times per game. But for Man City this season, he's touched it 69.63 times per game. So he just, he just gets far more of the ball. But the positions where he, he receives it as well is, is different. So in Eng- for England, with Southgate in that World Cup, it was that 3-5-2 kind of shape. You know, it wasn't really that, but it looked like that. Yeah. Um, Sterling's average position was normally ahead of Kane. So he'd be the most advanced player running onto direct balls into channels maybe or into space. So when he gets it, he's the most advanced player. So then his options are to either take his man on or buy time and pass it to the side or backwards or something like that. But then when he plays for Man City, he's out in the right or the left, usually the right at the moment. 
And that means he can get the ball to feet or ahead of him. And then he's got options. If it's to his feet, he can look up and he's got options to his side and ahead of him. He's got players he can take on his man on the wing, which is easier to go outside or inside rather than having a huge range of options to choose from. Nothing you can really do. And then you've got to look at the players around him as well. So at City, you've got De Bruyne, uh, Silva, uh, Bernardo Silva as well. All these boys are creating heaps of chances, but their passing is just better than England's. Yeah. Very direct at the World Cup under Southgate. And I think he tried to make it a bit shorter. I saw against Croatia, trying to play to their strengths. But he saw it with Ross Barkley a couple of times. Very talented player. Um, physically, he's you know big and strong and really good balance. And he's quick. And he just looks like he's learned a bit under Sarri this year, uh, positional-wise. But he just, his first touch let him down a few times. His second touch, often the ball rolled away from him. Croatia's players don't do that. Modric doesn't lose the ball. Rakitic just didn't give it away. You just, they just... You feel safe when they have the ball at their feet. And it's the same in Man City. So Sterling can make different runs because he knows it's going to get to him. Whereas under England, he probably doesn't think Henderson will find him. Okay, so tonight, Monday night this is, Spain will take on England. And uh, this is going to be in Betis' home ground for the first time in 23 years. Just want to tell you that this is the place that Spain famously defeated Malta at 12-1. Do you think that this could be the game that Sterling gets a, gets a chance? Well, I, I've started getting to the stage where every England game I go to, I think, right, this is going to be the game. I mean, I, I turned up at the Croatia game thinking with the 4-3-3, I thought this is going to be the game. I'm going to end up writing about Raheem Sterling tonight. But do you get upset if you, you don't think that he's living up to his expectations in England? I don't, I don't get upset because I do think he still offers the team. I don't think he's like playing terribly. I mean, I, I was very much a believer in the World Cup that even when he was either missing chances or not really getting chances, the, the way he was stretching defenders and keeping defences pinned back because of his pace so they couldn't take a step forward was really important yeah. for England. Yeah, defences are scared of him. Yeah, yeah and, he's smart off the ball. Yeah, um, and also, I mean, even against Croatia the other night, one of those Rashford chances was from his pass. He's doing things. He's not anonymous. But I'm turning up to every game now thinking, this is going to be the night. He's going to score. He's going to break this duck and we're all going to be writing about him. And it just doesn't happen. Now, People who may be listening to this on Tuesday morning may be waking up to the fact that Raheem Sterling has suddenly announced himself on the international scene amazingly. <laughs> got a hat-trick. <laughs> and I, I, hope, I really hope that's the case. But they've got to do something about it. They've got to unlock far more of his potential in an England shirt because we're not scoring enough goals. I think we've, up, up to this Spain game, I think we've scored six in eight. Kane hasn't scored for six games. He's going to go through these runs. And when Kane doesn't score... We don't have goal-scoring midfielders anymore. We don't have Gerrards or Lampards. We've got to have people scoring goals. So Sterling's got to be chipping in with goals. Rashford's got to be chipping in with goals. Otherwise, we're just not going to be able to win any games. Wow, all of that positivity that came out of the World Cup is uh, quickly turned into, what's going to happen? Is England ever going to get the goals? Are we ever going to be anything? But what you know what they are? They're better than Scotland at the moment. It's <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, not What happened there, JJ Ball? <laughs> it was, for a while there, we thought, you know, it's Israel. They haven't won, I think, their last three matches before going into this match. They're the 94th ranked team. You thought this was going to be an easy win or, or relatively comfortable one, at least. But Israel could have won by more. Israel, it wasn't just that Scotland lost 2-1. It's that Scotland got played off the park by Israel. I've not seen much of Israel before. Well, I've not seen much of Israel before. And uh, I expected they wouldn't be that good. They looked like like Barcelona passing around they had players uh, so um, Alex McLeish doesn't seem to really know what his best team is 
I think he knows it's not very good, <laughs> whatever the best <laughs> one is. But he's ch- uh, changed the shape a couple of times. So obviously we lost to, um, well, Scotland lost to Israel 2-1, started with a back three. Um, the big problem is that Scotland have two top class players who are both left back, which is a fantastic bit of luck uh, all at once. So Andy Robertson is the captain now and uh, Kieran Tierney is captain. Is, well, he captain Celtic quite a lot of the time. He's not the captain. Uh, so to get them both in the same team, what McLeish has done is uh, rather than stick with Scotland have traditionally been a four-five-one, you know, and the, the low block, and you just hope to get a McFadden goal from forty yards against France. That's how you win games. So now McLeish has changed it to a back three. Uh, Robertson is now a wing back, an attacking left wing back, and Kieran Tierney was playing at left centre back. Both of them are out of position, and they both came out after the game and said that they don't like it. So Andy Robertson said that he's uh, he knows he was terrible, and he was, because um, he's not used to that. He does play basically as a wing-back for Liverpool, so I'm not sure why he's moaning quite so much about it. Uh, but Tierney's suffered. He was really, really bad, and um, he also chopped the ball into his own net. Yeah, yeah. it's quite unfortunate there. Uh, John Souter gets sent off. Um, I don't know if you've seen the second yellow you sent off for. Yeah, do you think that was fair? No. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I thought you were going to say We're not like in a, in a bias way at all. I don't understand how that's a yellow. I don't even think it's a free kick. I think the guy goes down holding his face after the briefest of touches. It's clearly an accident. Alex so if it's a free kick because he's touched him, maybe, but I mean, not a yellow. No, I agree. I have to agree with you there. But then they lost again. Yeah, then they lost to Portugal reserves, no less. <laughs> but the problem is Scotland changed their shape again, 4-4-2. They played Andy Robertson at left back where he's meant to be. They played a guy called Jack Hendry who has been abysmal for Celtic. Like, he's getting dropped for Celtic, can't get, even get in the team. And uh, and he's playing. There's a guy called Stephen O'Donnell, plays for Kilmarnock, who looks out of his depth at right-back. He loses at fault for both of the the two goals that we conceded early on. John McGinn, Aston Villa. One of, yeah, on Matt's payroll. Looks like a yeah. really a strong team out there. Uh, well, it's it just, we don't have very good players. Are they better than Wales? Um, well, I don't know. I mean, Wales have players like Aaron Ramsey and they've got Gareth Bale, obviously. Yes, but they lost 4-1 to Spain and it just... Well, Spain have been on fire, to be fair. Um, yeah, it would have been about 20-0, honestly, yeah. if Spain played Scotland. The, the interesting thing that I thought, thought about Wales this international break was Bale not playing, um, apparently under some pressure from Real Madrid now because they didn't want him coming back injured again. Now Ronaldo's gone. Yeah, but you have to understand that. Well, the interesting thing being, though, is that now Ronaldo's gone, he's clearly going to have more pressure on him not to play for Wales. When Ronaldo was there, they seemed fine with him. He played every single Wales game, but now they can't afford for him to take the risk on the injuries. And just before you jump in on me... Yeah, because I I might, yeah. The other interesting (laughs) thing about this is how Ryan Giggs manages this, because Ryan Giggs was the classic not turn up for Wales played all of Manchester United's games, never played for Wales. He gets in as Wales manager. Now all of a sudden, Gareth Bale might declare himself slightly less available than he used to, which I'm sure would be very frustrating for Giggs. But how does Giggs play that one as being probably one of the most famous deserters of the Welsh nation ever when he was a player? Exactly. He has to now lie in it. Well, look, the thing with, I think, with, with the Gareth Bale situation is that he complains that he's not picked 
and he wasn't picked by Zinedine Zidane and he was so miserable at the fact that he didn't start the Champions League final and that he came on and obviously changed the game around and he's been looking at Real Madrid to be like, trust me, I'm the guy to go to. You know, I'm just as good a Ronaldo, I can lead this attack and if you're not going to play me, then I'm off. And he created a fuss over the summer about whether or not he was going to leave. You want that mantelpiece, you want to be the king of Real Madrid, then you have to be fit enough to do it and he hasn't been fit this season. If you want to be the main guy, then you have to dedicate your time to... The, the, the club that you consider the best in the world and it's the reason why you're like, okay, I was convinced to stay because I was going to be the main man. Then you have to be the main man. He's being injured and taken off. The team hasn't scored in four matches in a row. And then for him to, to now get up and go to Wales is for a team that's paying his wages, it's hugely outrageous. I'm somebody who always thinks you should put your country above everything else. But on this occasion, was it really that important for him to play? Well, well obviously not because he didn't. Yeah, so I think it's a good decision. Um, It it maybe is, but I do think there's going to be a power struggle there now. And it's going to put Bale in an awkward position because Bale has been really, really heavily praised over the last few years for putting Wales first and for being the the sort of symbol of the whole footballing nation and and carrying them along um, in a way that Giggs never did for Wales. And I I think that looks like it's going to change. And that's going to be tough for Giggs because... He will look like a hypocrite if he comes out and, and criticises that. I mean, obviously, in, in, from around Europe, did everyone watch uh, Netherlands thrashing Germany? I didn't watch it. I saw that it happened. That's quite interesting. That, that's <laughs> huge. huge I, I also saw some on. highlights. I'm a, I love some of these uh, the Dutch youngsters coming through. Mm. There's a few Matisse de Ligt. Um, I saw Ajax play last season, actually, and I've been following these. these uh, there's a few of them. There's Frankie de Jong. Yeah, he's amazing. Um, there's Donny van de Beek and there's uh, uh, Matisse de Ligt. Yeah, yeah uh, defender. De Ligt is such a good player already. I think he's 17, maybe 18 now, maybe 19. I don't know. He's one of those ages. He's young. Yeah. But he's a uh, he's kind of captain material. Plays out from the back. He's like, uh, I mean, I'll, it sounds a bit too much, but he's like a Beckenbauer kind of player. Can carry the ball, do whatever he wants with it. Uh, Van, uh, what's his name? Uh, Van de Beek, I think it was. Uh, started an attack against Germany from his own. He came between the two centre backs and then just took the ball all the way up to the final third. He's brilliant. He's really something so special. So is, is Dutch football back? Because I went and saw England uh, play Holland probably a year or so ago. Uh, and they were dreadful. Yeah, they were horse. They were, I remember they that, were yeah. really awful. And I just came away thinking, oh my word, Dutch football's got got problems. But it sounds that's what I was going to say. Do you think that they've? Do you trust them now? There's definitely players coming through. Um, most of them seem to be at Ajax. Uh, and the problem I think with or Dutch PSV, football, Eindhoven. well, yeah, yeah, well, Eindhoven too, yeah. But I'd, I'd say the big ones, the big future ones, will be they'll all be at Barcelona at some point sooner. I'd imagine. Uh, you think so? The Ligt are, are in, yeah, probably Tottenham. Tried to sign Delict this summer, just gone, um, and and thought they would be able to. They've got good links into Ajax, having signed a, a few players from Ajax rec- in the recent years, and it be- quickly became apparent that even the summer just gone, he wasn't going to move to a Tottenham. He's going to hold out and move straight into a Barcelona or something like that. I think they should be much better now if they stick to what they're good at and there are better players coming through it might not be that they're quite there yet yeah. but that's a convincing win over it's, Germany was, who are was, rubbish well, this now is the thing. it was well, a exactly. really eye-catching is win. it Germany sort of being this terrible team or I mean that that is huge like there is so, yeah. so much pressure on Joachim Löw at the moment as they've well they've got amazing players Germany I know like through their list they've got probably the best squad in the entire world and I don't know what they're too busy throwing each other under the bus that's what uh, it feels like, <laughs> no, feels like it's, it feels like it's gone the way of those kind of really talented old Holland teams where they 
something's going on in the background in Germany. It's not about players suddenly becoming bad or not being able to perform. It feels like there's massive divisions within that squad, which I don't know exactly what they are, but it feels a much bigger problem than just a bit of a loss of form. Yeah, absolutely. Meanwhile, all you really need to know other than that is that Germany lost, Netherlands looked good, Spain looked phenomenal, and Italy finally kept a clean sheet. For a defensive team, that is something. You're listening to the Telegraph Audio Football Club, part of the Telegraph Podcasting Network. To find more of our podcasts, just go to telegraph.co.uk forward slash podcasts. Let's move on to Villa. Bruce is gone. (laughs) Dean Smith is in. Yes, we're back. All in all, it took far too long to get there, but is he the right person? We are back. Villa are back. Where do you think so? First, Uh, well, we're going to get better. I think Villa fans are loving the Dean Smith appointment. They they were very. Is it just because he's a huge fan, or is it? Yeah, um, they were very excited by the prospect of Thierry Henry until Monaco came along and poached him which is completely understandable. Um, But Dean Smith, I mean, just to fill you in a little bit, Dean Smith's dad, Ron, Mm. was a steward at Villa. And Dean Smith, when he was a little boy, used to beg him to be able to go. And when he deemed him old enough, he would have him sweeping up the Holt End for him and helping him um, clean up Villa Park, and for which he got free tickets. And, I mean, he was a regular uh, when we won the league uh, in 81, with only 14 players, he can name all 14 players who won the league. That's in which I actually can't, before you ask me, um, being that I was two at the time. Um, but, I mean, he is a proper, proper Villa fan. He knows everything about the fabric of the club. It's really sad when he's fired in a year and a half. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Um, he's earned, he's done his apprenticeship. He's done a very good job at Warsaw. He's done a very good job at Brentford. He plays attractive football. He's an innovator. He has this leadership group. He wouldn't name a captain at Brentford. He had a leadership group of about five who he would rotate the captaincy around because he felt that that brought out characters within the squad rather than putting it all on one man. And he's fresh. He's something that Villa need. I think it's actually quite similar. He's older than him, but I actually think it's quite similar to when Bournemouth appointed, reappointed Eddie Howe, um, who then took them through the divisions. He had an affinity with that club. He was fresh thinker. He wanted to play attractive football. And I'm hoping Dean Smith is going to be very much our Eddie Howe. Wow. So maybe Eddie Howe will take the England job. And after that, will come Smith. Uh, I don't know about that. He's going to stay at Villa for years and win us the league and the Champions League. So how do we feel about Thierry Henry going to Monaco? Uh, do you think that's better that he went to Monaco so that you could get Smith? Or do you think that's a weird appointment? It was weird, to be honest, that I thought Thierry Henry was even linked to the Aston Villa I job. thought it was weirder that he was linked with John Terry's assistant manager. <laughs> it's so odd. I couldn't imagine them. Po- how would they possibly... How would they talk to each other? I think that's... Henri and John Terry would have been a far more difficult dynamic than Dean Smith and John John Terry. Terry. Those two sort of huge playing characters with very strong opinions, I think, would would, and they're both new into management, would would be more difficult. I think it's a it's a better fit to have Dean Smith with him. Thierry Henri and Monaco, I mean, it's a very sort of romantic story. I mean, it's it's where he started, it's where he kind of made his name. He loves the club. He was looking to get back in management last summer at Arsenal. I think he was looking, if he could, to find a job where he had 
some sort of link with the club. Um, I mean, I'm not. It's a great job for him. If you look at it from his point of view, it's a great job. He's got the affinity with the club. I don't think he can do any worse than what they're doing. They're around 18th or 19th in the division. I'd be surprised if he can do any worse. He's got European football. I mean, even if they fall out of the Champions League, he might have the Europa League. It's a brilliant first job for him. I can totally understand why he he sacked off Villa late on to go and take the Monaco job. Whether you think it's a good move from Monaco's perspective is a completely different question. Um, Obviously, I, I'm a big fan of the coach, Leonardo Jardim. I think that he can play any style of football. He can be defensive. He can be attacking. We saw that Monaco side that continued to score goals. We saw them. We saw how well he developed talent from Carrasco, Martial, Mbappe, and obviously that entire midfield, Fabinho. Um, let's not forget Benjamin Mendy. There's so many more, and I just think that they haven't really helped him out this season with the way that they've been scouting talent. So that's how he's gone from winning the league with Monaco against, you know, super-rich PSG to being, being binned. It's not It's not his fault, and, and I think that, you know, obviously he's, for some reason, despite being such a great coach, he doesn't have a big name, and people want big names nowadays because they want the, the attraction that that brings and the journalists that invites and how many people will cover Monaco. So that's obviously one thing that they that played into it. But I do think that I feel sorry for him. They obviously went for the likes of Alexander Kolovin, who did so well for Russia, but obviously got injured in his first training session. They bought him a youngster in Pietro Pellegri, who's 16, and it's like, okay, well, he needs to perform. They're all so young. It's so hard, and you need time to develop that. And exactly, you need time. So if you're going to develop, if your model is to take in wonder kids, turn them into highly valuable assets, and then sell them on, you have to have give the manager time to let them come into that. And young kids will make mistakes all the time. So there's no way you can suddenly rush in. It's not like he's got loads of 28-year-old players Precisely. straight away. There's some really good players in the books. Like they just signed Benjamin Henricks, you know, that defender from Germany. Yeah. Just, it's always really clever. And, and Yuri Tielemans, I really like him. He was great when he came in the World Cup. Yeah, exactly. There's huge talented players there, but there's just not maybe just right there. But yeah, he did similar with a young group of players to win the league. What do you think of all these, you know, big names taking on? So Thierry Henry taking on Monaco. Uh, it's actually it's quite a big name, to be honest. But it was, you know, Steven Gerrard now. We've got Frank Frank Lampard at Derby County. Yeah, Terry becoming a number two instead of a number one at a championship yeah. club. It's really interesting. I think these these are guys who, in the past, I don't think would have really considered these jobs as the ideal way. And even, even Henry at Monaco, even though it's got that emotional pull, um, there'd be a time where he wouldn't be going anywhere near a, a club 18th or 19th in Liga, and whether it was a club he'd played for or not. But they are in the Champions League. They are in the Champions League, but they're probably going to quickly fall out of the Champions League, in all honesty, aren't they? Um, I, I just think these guys have realised now that they're not going to walk into ideal jobs. Whereas Ryan Giggs a few years ago, it seemed if he was going to go into club football, he only wanted to do it at Manchester United, um, which just wasn't going to happen. They have more respect for the jobs and the and the the work that goes into other people applying for them and getting. That's them. exactly what it is. I think they really respect now what what you've got to do to get even just a Premier League job, um, and the work that people like your Eddie Howes, even your Dean Smiths, the hours and the what these guys go through and the hours they put in and the education they have. The big ex-players now respect that their playing career will not just put them straight in. Albeit all of these guys have joined big name clubs. Rangers are big name club. Derby County is a really big name club. Mm. But they're having to join them at stages of their history where they're they're not current big clubs. Yeah. So it, it's it's 
it's interesting. And respect to them, respect to all of them. I mean, John Terry's getting a lot of stick this last couple of weeks, but he, respect to him, he's willing to start as a number two at a championship club. He's got to learn his trees. Like yeah. The rest what? of them do. He's yeah. willing yeah. to assist the manager for yeah. a few years. Yeah, you've got I to just re- remember Milan when they just threw in Clarence Seedorf and then they had Philippe. And I just think it's too much too quickly, especially when there's so much pressure. That you, I, I do think it's better with Zidane learned with Castilla. You know, he learned with the youngsters, and yeah. then it look just, how Conte did it. Conte did it in precise. Conte yeah, did it exactly Italian the best Italian sort way. of third really division or whatever, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, Lucy and climbed the ranks. Yeah. All right, yeah. But we have to talk about Aaron Ramsey because we mentioned Arsenal and the fact is is that his contract is not going to be renewed. He said he's still willing to give everything to Arsenal until the end. Do you think that's a strange thing that he's not going to... Uh, um, we, we touched on this last week. Arsenal have got themselves in a horrible position on this. Um, letting it get so far, giving a contract to Wurzel that, that meant their negotiating position with Ramsey was strange. The weird thing about this... There's clearly been a fallout because there was a contract offer on the table from Arsenal. It might not have been a contract that Ramsey was willing to sign. I'm led to believe it was around 180 grand a week. Um, and from going, from having a contract on the table and negotiating, Arsenal have literally just taken the offer off the table. Yeah, We're not stuck in a negotiating deadlock. We're not stuck with both sides counter-offering each other and it being a row. We've just got to a stage from from having an offer on the table that Ramsey wanted a better offer to just, okay, no offer at all, forget it. And it doesn't feel like a negotiating position. It doesn't feel like a position where they're hoping he comes back to the table. It just feels like a, it's off then, you're going. And it seems really odd to me because I've always thought that Ramsey is a player who will actually flourish probably away from Arsenal. I suspect... He will go somewhere on a free transfer and do really well and Arsenal will end up kicking themselves. Um, he's been pretty grown up about it by the looks of things. He's 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 still, we saw with the, the Fulham goal, I, it, there's no sense that he's going to throw his toys out of the pram. I think he's just going to try and make them look a little bit silly by playing as well as he can. You might also have some ambition and want to win something. Correct, yeah. And uh, as harsh as that might sound to anyone who supports Arsenal, he's not... Other than the FA Cup, he's not really been pushing for anything. He might want to play in Europe. This is his, what age is he now? It'll be his last big contract. Well, that's the thing. 27, 28. Yeah. Uh, I get, yeah, he's 27. So this will be the one, he'll get a five-year deal somewhere, maybe a six. He could play He could play at Barcelona. Like, he's good enough to play for these things. He maybe won't get in the you first team. So? Yeah, he could, he could get in the squad easily. Mm. Um, I, I would say so. But I don't think he'd start maybe every week, but he's kind of a player that they could... I mean, Paulinho was there last year and did quite well. Do you know that? Ramsey's not a world yeah, away from... they needed more defensive balance, but I don't think in terms of attacking players that you would look at Aaron Ramsey if you're No, Barcelona. I think if Ramsey had been coached and had better tactical noose, I think his positioning goes all wrong and he's desperate to get in, in an attack. I really think he could have been one of the great midfielders that we'd seen in certainly the Premier League. I really think he'd, he could play in any league in Europe and do well. He'd have to be coached. He could have been coached by Emery. He's not always starting for Arsenal. He's not getting to play Champions League football at the moment. I don't. I don't blame him at all for wanting to get. He hold out for an extra two, you know, two hundred twenty thousand pound a week and then play for anyone he wants. There'll be a big market for him. I mean, there'll be a big yeah. market in England partly because obviously he will count as homegrown and and help fulfil quotas. And and these kind of British players just never really come on the market as as free transfers. So there'll be a big market in England. I'd imagine. Everybody will be interested in him. I wouldn't even be surprised if Manchester City are interested in him. I think everyone will be interested in him on a free transfer. And then the European clubs, there'll be big interest 
whether it's from Barcelona. Certainly, he's been linked with Italy a lot. AC Milan, Juventus have both been linked with him quite a lot. Um, so he will have a good choice of clubs to go to. I think what he's got to be careful of, depending on what his ambition is, which I don't actually know, is not ending up moving to a club where he's just in the squad or on the bench just because it's a huge club. Because, as JJ pointed out, it's it's his last big contract, but it's also now in the peak of his years. And I think he, whichever move he decides to make, he needs to try and move somewhere where he's going to get a position and play really regularly. Actually, United have been linked to him. But United have a really tough week coming up because the Premier League comes back and they travel to Chelsea uh, to take them on in Stamford Bridge. Maurizio Sarri's side is looking a lot better than we imagined them to be at this stage. Well, we know United had that terrific win, but can they keep that going? It's going to be a hard, hard one, this, isn't it? It's... It looks like a horrible fixture for Mourinho because... Oh, it looks so exciting. Oh, it's got uh, Park the Bus written all over it. Do you it? think so? Oh, Mourinho might... will come out and just... Yeah. I think he will try and do that, but I, the worst case scenario for Mourinho is going back to his former club where it all went so wrong and where the style of play was criticised and have Sarri's new Chelsea come along, play them off the park, Hazard, who in his last season with Mourinho before Mourinho got sacked, hadn't even scored a goal during that season up to December. Hazard scores two or three goals. You know, the ingredients are there for Mourinho to be seriously embarrassed. But um, if he chooses to defend against that side, then he's going to come under a lot of trouble. I but don't see what choice he's got. He's no. got to go all out attack because these guys take long to get back into their defensive shape. You've got to exploit that. No, it's no way he'll do it, though, because they're just not playing like that. And and uh, I, I, I agree, because that's how you get, you'd get at Sarri's team as you go at them. But I've not. I just don't remember Mourinho doing that. I think if he did that, they'd get taken apart very quickly with a couple of goals. I think he'll want to frustrate, contain, try and slow it down. Certainly in the first ten minutes, maybe let them open up a bit after that. But there's no way he'd risk losing. He'll want to do. He just doesn't, he just doesn't want to lose it. That's the big thing, especially with the event that's coming up as well. You yeah, which sure one he's... is he going to prioritize? Oh, that's really tricky. I think he'll prioritize Chelsea because. It's all about him. So everything's always all about him. Ah, uh, okay. And the the potential for embarrassment, I totally agree with JJ, will stop him being adventurous because it's all about him. He's not thinking about his Manchester United or the side. He'll be thinking about, I'm not going to go to Stamford Bridge and be embarrassed at my home where I did all this great stuff, where I won three Premier League titles. I'm not going to go there and be embarrassed. Therefore, I totally expect him to try and shut the game down. I totally expect him to prioritise that game over the Juventus game. Um, but it's fascinating. It's really fascinating. It's all all got all the ingredients there for a big kind of news story to come out after it's... I mean, if Mourinho goes there and wins after what happened with Newcastle, it's Mourinho's back. He will be so bullish. He will be unbearable. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm expecting a 1-0 win, and that's exactly what will happen. But that, that in itself will be box office because he just won't be able to help himself gloat and have a go at journalists and have a go at pundits and, and whatever. And and if they get taken apart, then crikey's in trouble. OK, well, that's interesting. Say they do get taken apart and then he loses to Juventus after that. Wow. What happens then? All bets off. All bets off. I mean, it, the, the only thing for United is if they can find someone or a plan of someone who can come in mid-season. Um, but if they lose those two games, it's it's really is all bets off. I mean, he will be under such immense pressure 
um, and Ed Woodward will be under such immense pressure. It will be it will be hideous for them. Um, but it's like it's like I said. I mean, we're, we're discussing this now, and it's like the Newcastle game really never happened because they lost all the momentum through the international break. Yeah, um, bad timing. And we almost come into this fresh of Mourinho's on the brink again. JJ, yes. it's that time of the week. Oh, yes. I mean, I would really effectively like to discuss how good Chelsea might be and the Italian tactics and all of Saribor. But you're going to tell me what the cleverest moment of the weekend is. That's right. The cleverest moment of the weekend is from Scotland's absolute hiding to Portugal reserves. Gary mackay Stephen came on as a substitute, and along with fellow substitute Graham Shinney, who also plays for Aberdeen, actually, uh, they combined to score the most beautiful goal Scotland has scored in at least, I don't know, 10 games, 20 games. A uh, little bit of passing. Um, it's a long ball. Naismith takes it down, passes inside. Shinny kind of drives forward, takes it, gives it to Gary McKay Stephen, who goes into the box, takes on a couple of players, and does a little clever back heel. Doesn't, you, know, you don't even know where he's looking. The defenders are all taken apart by it. And Naismith hits a top corner shot to finish off the move. It was really lovely. It was the only good thing Scotland did all night. <laughs> And uh, I just don't want to ever watch the Scotland game again, please. Thank you. Okay, fine. No more Scotland games. Let's go to the happy side or the happy part of the pod. Lon League and Serie A collided, the best of both worlds, you might say. While Roma this weekend announced that they too were getting involved with non-league by supporting a team from your homeland, JJ. Yes, in a tweet, the Italian outfit posted their support for St. Anthony's, who are found in Glasgow. Have you heard of them? Not until I saw the whole tweet thing going on. Yeah. So it's a bit of a cult thing, Roma's Twitter account. They just like to support teams. They like to draw attention to themselves. Uh, So during the international break, the non-league day campaign urges fans from uh, senior clubs who are not playing to go along and show their support. And Roma wanted to do that by uh, tweeting all about this club and saying, you know, Forza the Ants and all these hashtags, which was really bizarre. The person in charge of that Twitter account, is that boy or girl from Glasgow by any chance? Or have friends. No, they've done there. this, by the way, for, for teams in, in Malaysia. They've done this for Is Uganda. They? they try to sort of send their support. And, but you know, like it really helps raise awareness. It, like, yeah, it just sounds so support. much like they've met someone in a bar and they've been like, oh, I'm from Scotland. I play for this team. You should tweet them. <laughs> yeah, and then That's they start going like on to it. Yeah. But yeah, I wanted to ask know. you, what's the best, because obviously their name is Forza the Ants was the best hashtag. What's the best name in non-league football? Naughty Naughty. What's Naughty Naughty? Naughty Naughty. Um, and are we allowed player, to talk about it? Okay. There's <laughs> a player in non-league football called Naughty Naughty. He plays for Dover Athletic. I think he used to play for Solihull Moors before that. And it's just brilliant. And if we don't dub the shaman's uh, he's a good over this bit with the Naughty Naughty bit, then I'll be gutted. Naughty Naughty. Very Naughty. Because that should be... That should be played every time Naughty Naughty walks out. And I'm not going to try and do it myself. But yeah, comfortably the best name. And just on good names, does everybody know that uh, Gabriel Agbonlahor's brother is called Charisma? Charisma Agbonlahor. Really? That's good. Yeah, I think he plays non-league too. I like that. Um, I don't know of any funny non-league names or, or good ones, but I do like Police Machine FC of Nigeria. That's a really good name. Yeah, and there's a team in, I think it's Iran, called FC Tractor, and they're called the Tractor Boys. (laughs) Oh, that's quite sweet. Yeah, but in terms of players, because of the chant, I really like uh, Lennel John Lewis. Ah. His name is a shop. 
his name is because John Lewis you see yeah I see that's all I have for you he plays for Shrewsbury Town you're after free John Lewis things aren't you you're literally after free John Lewis things no I yeah, just is, like is a... <laughs> I like a funny uh, non-offensive just neutral uh, name joke they're good I just love that he says it's his shop Has <laughs> <laughs> yeah. anyone got that <laughs> but anyway <laughs> that's all for this week's podcast Tom Gibbs will be back next week with more of the best football analysis until then subscribe to the podcast by looking for Telegraph Audio Football Club and please leave a review on Apple Podcasts thank you to the panel and thanks to you for your company I'll talk to you again soon Podcast listeners, I'm Debbie McGee, and if you want to get involved with something new, then join us for Talking Strictly, the Telegraph's fabulous Strictly Come Dancing podcast. Every Monday, we debate the highs and lows from the weekend shows, and we are not afraid to say what we really think. Download us, it'll be fun. That's Talking Strictly, available wherever you get your podcasts. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.